This is Rio of Madison Rising, and you're listening to our acoustic version of the Star Spangled Banner here on KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming whose broad stripes in bright stars through the perilous fight oh the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming in the rockets red
are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. You're listening to the Spark Radio Network, internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life and listen for the spark. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern, and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord, right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden. Welcome to God's Pure Word of Faith. I'm Richard Harden, and again, I want to thank the Lord and the management of KLRN Radio for this great opportunity to share God's Word with you today. Today, I said it's going to be a different kind of message. If you looked at the discussion before you tuned in or something like that, it, Bible question mark. Well, Proverbs 30, 5 and 6, verse 5 and 6 says, Every word of God is pure. He's a shield of them, put their trust in him. Add thou not to his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Well, you know, it is so important that we find God's pure word to us today. Now, that may sound kind of like a, you know, a, a, a great option. You know, we should be able to do it. We, uh, we have to do it. Our lives are dependent on it. Now, we must base our salvation our daily living on God's pure word, for God to back us up. See, if, uh, if if we have some kind of confused belief or something like this, or some kind of, you know, error or like this, it we've got to go to the Lord and somehow to learn to hear his voice like Jesus says in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice, and from all others they'll flee. Now, 
it's our responsibility to seek and to learn that. And, and you know, nobody else on earth is responsible for us obtaining salvation except each one of us individually. Now, if we do not have the correct means of salvation, we will probably have a warm future in store for us. Now, if we're standing on false, incorrect promises, we may be disappointed when, you know, God doesn't back up and fulfill our desires and hopes that we're, you know, counting on if, if we're standing on false promises. Then when tragedies happen, uh, we may be disappointed in our God, you know, that where was he? How come you let this happen? I know this, so many people, uh, when, when things like that have happened in their life, they've, they've turned with anger or something, you know, away, they say. There couldn't be a God, you know, let something like that happen or something. Anyway, now the fact that we have about, well, we have hundreds of denominations based on the Bible teaching opposite beliefs about God and claiming the Bible as the foundation of their beliefs. And there's over 26 major copies of the Bible because scholars thought that, you know, well, the first few copies weren't good enough. You know, we can put out a better one. And then that was about the 10th, you know, group of people. Then there's more people said, well, we can do a better one. They created the 11th one. And then um, some other people said, well, we can put out a better copy of the Bible. And they created a 12th one and on and on and on like this, you know. So the 26 major copies of the Bible because biblical scholars or, you know, religious scholars or however you want to say it, thought they could do better than the previous translators and put out one that uh, they wanted to put out. Now, and there's also some differences in the, you know, original manuscripts. Uh, some manuscripts have these particular scriptures and some don't have them. And uh, other manuscripts have scriptures that the other one don't have. Now, with these differences in um, these hundreds of denominations, interpretations of the copies of the Bibles we have and the 26 major copies of the Bible, shouldn't that kind of give us a clue that we should be more concerned about our spiritual condition? Even if, you know, there's preachers that do stand in a pulpit and raise a copy of the Bible, whichever one version they're holding in their hand, hold it above their head and they'll scream and holler that, that they believe every word of it. Well, preachers mainly study the Bible to learn how to teach their denominational beliefs and are told to stay away from controversial beliefs of others. Those controversial beliefs, though, are what could be settled by praying and seeking the Lord, and they wouldn't become uh, they wouldn't be controversial anymore if we were willing to seek God's pure word together and come out with just what is God telling us? What is His pure word? You know, seeking Him for the unity, like in uh, Galatians four, four it says that you know the one God, one Lord, one Spirit, one faith, one faith, and then on verse thirteen to about fourteen or fifteen of Galatians four it says that excuse me, not Galatians four, Ephesians four, that we should be seeking that one faith together. 
and that's what our teachers and preachers and everything should do. Today I'm going to share with you a message that uh, kind of exposes a lot of this confusion. Now, when you hear the truth, the truth will expose confusion. Now, truth does not cause confusion, but it brings it to light. And this confusion in our society is here, and most people don't even know it or realize it or haven't even thought about it. I hadn't until I started really seeking and searching and trying to find out the truth about different things as I was um, preaching out at El Reno Federal Prison years ago and everything. The prisoners really asked me some questions and I had to do a lot of seeking and searching to, to try to find answers for them and for myself. Now, the devil creates this confusion from good things. You know, it's good that we have these different denominational uh, beliefs and everything, or that we have, you know, the different scriptures to study to find God's pure word. We need a concordance so that we can look up, you know, different words in the scripture and, and see what the different uh, copies of the Bible say about it so that we can find out his pure word, something like this. But we still have to, you know, have his pure word in a way the evidence of it being his pure word or not is will he back it up will he back up to anybody you share what you share with them see that's the proof of it uh, not whether we just think it sounds real good or not but the devil tries to do everything he can to create confusion to keep people from responding correctly to God's word by faith because if we respond in faith, you know, based on God's pure word, God will do anything. You know, like Jesus says, you know, that all things are possible with the Lord. Uh, but we've got to have his pure word. And I keep saying it so much like it because it makes a big difference. You know, it's not something that just sounds good necessarily as God. It's got to be his word. It says, and add thou not to his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. And that's how we're found a liar, when we claim something by faith, or when we're trusting God to do something like this, and, and the promise is, you know, we've got a misunderstanding or something. But yet, you know, God will bring us through if we'll seek him with all our heart. Now, I'll be right back in just a minute, and I'll share with you about my website, and uh, I'll be right back. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Welcome back. The reason I keep playing that so often is because of, I have a lot of information on there that I would like for you to check out and listen to, you know, the videos and watch them and uh, some of the explanations. Uh, I guess the reason I keep referring to the videos a lot is that being an engineer, I like relationships to be able to see things along with what I hear. And these videos allow you to do that. You know, the relationships between doubt and 
seeking unbelief, belief, faith, trust, and hope, and things like this. You know, uh, it, it kind of has pictures there for you so that you can see all of it as you're listening to, you know, the parts of it and everything. Now, today I want to start with a lot of the confusion in our scriptures. Certainly, the devil wants to confuse grace as much as possible, or our idea of grace, because in Ephesians 2 8 it says, For by grace are you saved through faith. And the devil wants to do everything he can to keep us responding incorrectly so that we don't receive that grace. We can do things, you know, that uh, or very serious to us and, and serious to different beliefs. We have uh, so many ideas in our society about what it takes for salvation. Some say you got to get water baptized. There's Pentecostals and non-Pentecostals that say that. And then some say that, you know, you uh, got to do these other things. you got to speak in tongues. There's Pentecostals that say that, and there's some Pentecostals that don't. Uh, different things like this. And who's right? Who's wrong? Well, we each are personally responsible for finding out from the Lord who's right and who's wrong, or for us to be right, not necessarily to go around you know, and find out who everybody's wrong, but the first thing we need to do is make sure that we have the Spirit of Christ in our heart because uh, I guess the greatest definition or uh, description of grace in the Bible that I can find is in Ezekiel 36:26, and there's a couple of others in Ezekiel that say the same thing in other places, but uh, that's not the only one. But God says, a new heart also will I give you. Now, to give us a new heart, there's got to be a work of His Spirit in us. And that's what we call grace, the work of God's Spirit in our hearts. <coughs> a new heart also will give you. A new spirit will I put within you. Now, putting His new spirit in us is what is part of the work of grace, putting His spirit in us. We're talking about grace is the word we use to describe God working in the heart of mankind or working in our hearts. He said, new heart also we give you, a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And see, that's part of the work of grace. However he does it, to take his stony heart out of our flesh, you know, like that, that's part of the work of grace. So then, a new heart also will give you, a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I'll give you a new heart. And I'll put my spirit in you. See, all of that kind of, you know, is what happens during that process of the Lord changing us from just being a creature of His that He loves to becoming a child of God, a son of God. It says in Galatians 4, 6, And because your sons God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Well, Peter one time said that that's like a, a baptism, a washing, a cleansing of the heart with the Spirit you know, into the body of Christ. Um, in the book of James, James says that it's we're engrafted into the family of God. You know, that's another picture of grace there. You know, whatever it takes to engraft a limb into another tree or something like that. See, so the devil is going to do everything he can to fight against and to confuse grace. And he's doing a pretty good job of it, seems like. But 
first I want to mention here associated with the Bible is that Let's see, 130 times in the New Testament the word grace is used, or gracious, or something like this, graciousness. Every time in the New Testament the word grace, or any form of it is used, it has to do with the influence on the heart of man, the spirit influence on the heart. But now in the Old Testament, it was incorrectly uh, translated. And the word grace is used 67 times in the Old Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, when those 67 times, our preachers, our teachers, should all know from looking in a concordance, from going to whatever Bible school they went to or something, that every time the word grace in any form of those 67 times in the Old Testament used, they should have been favor, kindness, pleasant, precious, mercy you know they were words that were talking about God's mercy his love to people and like it says Noah found grace in the eyes of God no he didn't he found favor in the eyes of God there was no grace in the Old Testament and speaking and, and teaching and saying there was grace in the Old Testament is speaking against Christ John 1 17 said Jesus Grace and truth came by Jesus. In the Old Testament, God's covenant with them, he says in uh, Isaiah 59, 21, he says, this is my covenant, my spirit on them, not in them, but on them, and my words in their mouth. See, it was mercy and truth in the Old Testament. That's what Psalms 25, 10 says. Uh, All the ways of the Lord are mercy and and truth to those that obey his commandments and uh, his testimonies. So in the Old Testament people had God's love on them, to them, and his word to them for guidance and everything. Now we receive his spirit in our heart, creating us a new heart, a new life. We become a child of God, and that's a work of grace. And teaching that there's grace in the Old Testament. See, you, uh, a, a new Christian or somebody wanting to find out what the, you know Christians believe or something, to pick up a Bible and, you know, one of the motels, if the motels still allow them to have Bibles, and they start reading here in the Old Testament about, you know, grace here and grace there, and then it confuses things. It should be cleaned up somewhat or other, but and it, it should be cleaned up by the ministers and people that are teaching and preaching and, and showing clearly that there is no grace in the Old Testament except for Jesus now he was walking during the Old Testament period of time uh, that we well the day of Pentecost divides the two times the, the church started that day or the you know, spirit of Christ came into people's hearts that day for the first time when Jesus resurrected and came back on the day of Pentecost and from that time on, now there may be some other divisions. You could say, well, when Jesus was born and started, that might be it. But however you divide it up, Jesus was the only one that had the Spirit of Christ in his heart until the day of Pentecost. So that's the division that I'm referring to between the Old Testament and the New Testament there. Now, favor, mercy, and kindness uh, to all these people they were blessed in everything. Like in 1 John 1, 9 says, 
he is faithful and uh, when we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness see that's what grace does grace cleanses us from all that unrighteousness creates in us a new heart takes all that sin out we get a new heart we get God's spirit in us and we become a child of God and then one of the things that people say today about grace is grace is God's unmerited favor. That's not so. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, the scripture says, Or despise thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. That's God's unmerited favor to lost people, you know, that are. When we were out there in the world of sin before, you know, we were rejecting God. We sometimes wasn't intentionally doing it and everything. We were just in a world of sin, lust in our heart. We had no spirit of Christ in our heart or anything. And God loved us so much. That's the kind of people Jesus went to the cross and died for because he was going to set us free of that, set us free of that and adopt us into the family of God, you know, with his resurrection spirit. And uh, during those times when we were out there like that in our ignorance and sinning and all this stuff and, and rejecting him, it was because of his goodness, his love to us, that he didn't allow us to just be destroyed. If we ever taken his hands, his mercy off of us, the devil would have wiped us out because, uh, like Jesus says, a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So God's unmerited favor to us was that he blessed us even in those days. And I can look back now and see how many times he protected me from dying and going to hell during those days before I came to know him as my personal Lord and Savior. So unmerited favor has to do with mercy, God's mercy on lost people. or And also God's mercy on us Christians when we're out of favor with him, when we stray and go off on our own way and everything like that. God in his mercy protects us and, and tries to draw us back out of that. See, that's his... Uh, unmerited favor, but not grace. Grace is the work of His Spirit in our heart. And it's not from favor, it's from because that that's the way He set it up. He wants that relationship with us, and when we obey properly and seek Him with all our heart, He is glad to put His Spirit in us, because that's what He's created us for. You know, to be children, His children and everything, and to, you know, work with Him, worship and praise Him and everything. Now, so, Clearing up this about grace in the Old Testament, there was no grace in the Old Testament. The psalmist says that, the book of Isaiah, the, God spoke through the prophet and said his covenant is uh, my spirit on them and my words in their mouth. That's what the people of the Old Testament had, their relationship with God. And when they were doing good and pleased him and everything, they had a lot of favor from him. God would bless them so much more in their lives so that they could share with others and everything. He'll do that with us too. So grace is one of the things that the devil hates Jesus so much for what he's done for us and what you know going to happen to him as a result of what he did that he'll do everything he can to confuse grace and uh, along those lines he's also messed up a new word or a different word charity now charity the you look through the well the ones I've looked at the you know, the big dictionaries and everything, theological dictionaries, they just say, see love. They don't give definitions of uh, charity. But now, as we've already talked about, mercy is uh, God's love on and to the people. Grace is a work of God in a person's heart, the Spirit of Christ in us. Now, one of the words that 
King James and the Catholic Bible still have that's so fantastic is charity. Charity is the work of Christ in a Christian's heart. Me and you and others, you know, like this. A, a work of Christ, the Spirit of Christ in our heart and through us to someone else. That's charity. God working uh, with us or us working with God and going and sharing and witnessing and them as we share and witness he's speaking to their hearts his spirit is speaking to them as we're speaking to their ears see so it's a it's a joint effort between God and man charity is God and men working in unity together to reach out to someone else now it doesn't have to be a lost person we're going to we could be going to another Christian that you know uh, that's down the dumps or something and you know be picked up you know we want to share with them you know let God spirit work in us and through us to the other person and that's charity that see only Christians can perform an act of biblical charity uh, grace is a New Testament word to represent the creation of the new heart a new life and we're adopted in the family of God charity is off was also a new word for the scriptures because it represented the work of grace through me to you and through you to me see and and that's where that bonding it says in the Colossians 3:14 it says that uh, by charity you know this perfect bond comes about that is God's spirit in me through me to you and then God's spirit in you and through you back to me that brings a bond to us that's not based on you know what kind of cars we drive or what kind of jobs we have or what kind of you know things of the flesh we are but it's it's a bonding of two brothers or sisters in Christ you know his love in each of us and then back and forth to each of us and, and that's what brings that perfect bond that's a unity there that that brings about a lot of things you know like the in the disciples in the upper room and everything they were bonded together by their trust and their love for the Lord until the day of Pentecost and then they were bonded in the spirit you know to each other and that's the perfect bond that it's talking about in Colossians 3:14, and it gives a, a little bit clearer or prettier picture than just saying our love bonds us together it's it's a description of how our love bonds together the love in each of us in from God and then we share that same love to someone else. And that's why it says that uh, charity is the end of the law. You know, love God with all your heart and then love your neighbors yourself. So when you're sharing and, and performing an act of biblical charity, you're loving God with all your heart because he's calling you to go speak to that person or do something, uh, share with that person, minister to them and everything. And you respond then humble yourselves and go with God or God goes with us and we're working together with God reaching out then to someone we speak to their minds while God is speaking to their hearts that's what we call the biblical charity a joint effort of work between God and man and this is a great joy too to feel God's presence and recognize God working with you that's why the devil has had the word charity taken out of the newer versions of the Bible he doesn't want us to be specifically taught of the joy that comes from working personally with God
You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern, and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord, right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden. his children, a Christian, the work of grace in our heart, through us to someone else that he, you know, wants to take us to or wants us to go witness to or something like that. But the reason I say it's a joint effort between God and man is because, you know, we're doing something like today. You'll be, you know, you're doing something right now, but, you know, um, a couple of hours you'll be active and, and God might speak you to Go to your next door neighbor and uh, and do something to help them or to pray for them, something like that. That would mean for you to respond in faith or to respond from grace, God's spirit in your heart, you would have to accept what God is saying to you, put down what else you're doing at the present time, and, and see, make an effort on your part to go with the Lord. Or you have to reject him. And, and, you know, rejecting him would be unbelief. Anytime we reject God's word, we're in unbelief. A lot of Christians are in a lot of unbelief because they've, they've rejected teaching classes. They've rejected, you know, leading devotionals. They've rejected preaching. They, see, there's a lot of rejection in Christianity today or unbelief because of rejecting the living God. And, and that's what unbelief is. 
Faith comes when we accept what he says to us to go share with that neighbor. Say, yes, Lord, and see the spirit of those words in coming into our heart are alive. So we're accepting his word into our heart to faith. But when it, the spirit comes in our heart, we say now it's a work of grace because it's his spirit moving in our heart to go visit that neighbor and do whatever it is he wants us to do. And he's going to be going with us if we go with the right attitude. That's why it says that faith that worketh by love, uh, that counts. Because if we have heard him speak to us to go to a neighbor, even though we have Christ in our heart, we might go over grumbling and griping because we might have been fixing to do something else right then we wanted to do. And we'd have kind of an attitude, well, I'll go, you know, but I want to hurry up and get this over with. And like, you know, wrong attitude. And it won't be God going with us then to support us in that. But if we go then with the right attitude and go to visit that neighbor and do whatever it is God wants us to do, we're going in faith. And it's going to be working by love as God works through us. Or we say we're doing a, an act of charity. God's love in our heart, through our heart, to the neighbor. So it's whichever one. But now, as we go over there then, that's kind of a joint effort then between us and God. And it's such a joy to work like that, knowing that that he's right there with you, right there with you. I went to visit somebody one time, and and as soon as I walked in the door, they said, oh, I had a dream last night about this and this and this, and it was like describing me. And then uh, I was shocked, you know, that the, the things that were said, that it was just like God welcoming me in that room when I walked in it. And I knew it was because I knew those things they were saying, uh, it was God trying to make me feel at ease to do what it was he was asking me to do. Anyway, so uh, God will be with us. And as we speak to the people's ears and share with them and like this, God's going to be speaking to their heart. And it will be a joint effort then between God and man. That's why the word grace, you know, but, excuse me, grace and charity. That's word charity is taken out because charity is more than just God's love in our heart. It's us allowing his love to work through us to others. And see, if the devil first wants people to you know, be confused about grace because he doesn't want us to receive God's love in our heart, his spirit in our heart, and become children of God. So he wants to damage us in every way he can, you know, as a lost person, and, and to get us to blaming God for this and blaming God for that and everything. And then uh, once we've become a child of God, though, a Christian, he certainly doesn't want us to have that burden for allowing God's Spirit to work through us to somebody else. So he's worked in a way to get charity completely out of all the new versions of the Bible. So I would suggest if you want a good Bible study, get you a King James Version along with your NIV or, or American Standard or whatever it is you use and, and look up the times that charity is used in the King James and compare it to whatever scripture you use. That would be a good Bible study and you'll see then what I'm talking about. Now, in, uh, in the King James, the uh, word charity is used 12 times, 12 different scriptures. And the Amplified, completely empty of the word you know, charity, it's zero. 12 times it's left out. 12 times it's left out in the NAS, New American Standard. The uh, NIV leaves them out all 12 times. And the Catholic version includes them. So there's a difference in the way 
uh, scripture sound now, and I want to read you a couple of these scriptures in, from different versions so that you can see that. And another word that goes along with edif with uh, charity is edification. Um, in fact, it, one of the scriptures says that uh, charity edifies. Well, that means build up in the Lord. And the word build up in the Lord is used 13 times uh, in the King James and only eight times in the Amplified, six times in the New American Standard. It, it's, it's left out, let's see, 10 times in the NIV, and the Catholic uses it 13 times. And the reason I say that is because uh, I'm going to be sharing some of these words, too, about edification, that if you're just saying build somebody up, you can build them up by congratulating them on their new car, or congratulating them on this, you know, uh, uh, new job or something like this. Or they play in a softball game, they did great, you know, like this. Now that's building up people. And just changing now for edification to that, edification is building up in the Lord. Telling somebody, you know, I really, I really appreciate your dedication, you know, to, to working with those children. I really appreciate your dedication to helping to clean up the, you know, facilities and stuff like this. And your your dedication and, and your timeless and, and, and singing and things like this. You know, building people up in the Lord is very, you know, narrow to the things that you can do just to build people up. And uh, when you take that, um, the word edification out then, and just say build up people. You know, you can brag on them, do all kind of things. You know, women's fancy hairdos and you know, uh, new shoes and things like this. But see, that's not what the scripture's talking about when it's talking about building people up. The word edification should have been continued along, just like the word charity should have been continued, because uh, they're so much more specific to areas of uh, love for the Lord. Now, let me read you some of these scriptures, uh, charity and grace. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, it says, uh, Now, touching things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but charity edifies. Then, reading it out of one of the other versions, it says, Now, about food and sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. See, now, love builds up. That's true. But it doesn't uh, separate it to building up in the Lord. Love builds up. You know, like I mentioned a while ago, you know, you can feel good about somebody, just all this love and everything like that, and, and say, oh, you know, that just, those shoes look so good, or, you know, your car is so nice, and, you know, just build them up and make them feel so good and everything. But that's not the kind of building up. But charity edifies. Charity, God working through us to someone else. See, we're going to be building them up in the Lord because that's why God would send us down there is to build them up and, and allow him to speak to them and draw them closer to him. And see, just saying, but uh, love, first taking out charity, that it's just love, you know, and, and so many people think of love as just a good feeling builds them up and you give them a good feeling about all these other things. See, it it takes away the godliness of the efforts of that scripture. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 
says, Though I speak the tongues of men and angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass of a tinkling cymbal, and have not charity. Now see, so here, I'm not going to just be speaking with the tongues of men and angels, things like this, but I'm going to be going with them. The Apostle Paul's going to be going to them and sharing and see, uh, being a part and acting in their life to draw them to the Lord. Now, if you read the Without this, I speak with tongues of men and angels, but have not love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. There's so many people that have so much love in their heart and go from this Bible study to this Bible study to this worship service when some special guy comes to town or girl or something like that, some singer. They just have this love and they just go from meetings to meetings to meetings to meetings. But where are the lost people are witnessing to? Where are the people, you know, they're sharing like that? And I'm, let's see, I don't know what about everybody and everything, but it's pretty obvious in our society. Let me ask you, how long has it been since someone that you don't know has witnessed to you about the Lord and shared with you about how to become a Christian, how to, you know, receive Christ or encouraged you into something like that? Or how many times lately have you done that to someone else? See, it, it's not happening that much in our society. It's really not. Are you concerned about every conversation that you meet with someone that the Lord might speak through them to, to draw you into a witnessing situation to that person or something like that and concerned about it? See, that that's what grace and charity uh, implies is that you can, like, well, Apostle Paul said in one place, I don't have a scripture right here. He says, but he's only concerned about you. Christ Jesus, you know, Christ Jesus in your heart. You know, he wasn't concerned about who donated the carpet for the church or the pews for the church or the things like this. He was only concerned about, to each of those individuals, uh, Christ Jesus and him crucified, and does he live in your heart? See, that was his focus, salvation. In fact, in uh, Proverbs 11.30, it says, The fruit of the righteous tree of life, he that winneth souls is wise. Now, you know, we don't win souls, but, you know, God using us like this to draw people to him is what it's talking about there, you know, where they get saved as a result of us sharing with them personally. See, so that's wise, that's wisdom. Now, oh, let's look at some of the others then. 1 Corinthians 13, 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries, all knowledge, and though I have all faith, that's pretty good, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Now see, have not charity. That means he's not going and sharing it from his heart to others, the same love, the same faith, the same knowledge, the same mysteries. He's not going and sharing if he doesn't have charity. Because charity says that whatever the love, you know, love God with all your heart, and whatever you have in your heart, the love of God, that same love to your neighbors. And Paul's, you could see he poured out his life. He even said it sometimes. He poured out his life for his fellow man. And, you know, he went through some of the suffering as bad as he had persecuted people before he became a Christian. He killed them, put them in prison and all this stuff. People left him one time outside the city. They stoned him till they thought he was dead. Uh, can you imagine how many rocks would have to hit us, hit one of us, for us to look to people all around us as we're dead? That's how many that they stoned him with. <laughs> they left, drug him outside of the city, left him as dead. And if they had 
any inclination he had some life in him, they would have kept stoning him. So they just drug him out there like trash and left him and, and went about their way. We got rid of that guy. He's dead. But the disciples came, and the very next verse it says, The disciples came and stood around about him, and the next morning Paul was up on his way to go preach and teach the gospel again. Now that's what he had in him. He had the love of God in him, and he was going to share that love of God with others regardless of what they did. Now it doesn't say in that verse what happened when the disciples stood around him, but you know what happened. They prayed for him, and the Lord came there and ministered to Paul, raised him back up, and he was ready to go again the next morning. If somebody in our church or somebody around us like it was to throw a rock and hit me upside the head or hit you upside the head, do you think the next morning or that afternoon you'd be right there praising the Lord again, you know, and all this? Paul did, see? And that's why he used the word charity here. He said, if I have all prophecy, understanding, mysteries, knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, you know, and I have, have that spirit that desire in me to share everything I got with other people, I'm nothing. Now, if you read the other version, if I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love. See, love can stop in your heart. Charity is love going through your heart to others. You can sit there and just be so full of love and everything, and uh, in a sense, keep it to yourself. And I think that's what a lot of Christians are doing in our society. Keeping things to ourselves should be sharing with others because I believe that the problems we're having in our government, Washington, D.C., and the crooks and the Congress and everything like this, around like that, I believe they are a reflection of the failure of Christian or Christianity, not Christ, but a failure of Christianity to represent Christ in a positive, unified manner. Because I believe if we were representing to, to the public around us, each one of us, the love that God has put in our heart from salvation and the things he cleaned us up from, the changed heart, the changed life and everything like they would want it. Because, see, I know they would want it because God created a void in their heart that only that can fill. Only He, only God, and the work of His Spirit in our heart and everything can bring them the fulfillment that they're looking for in politics and control and, you know, bossing people around and all that money and everything they're getting for doing things like this. They're trying to fill that void so much they're desperately in need of the Spirit of Christ in their heart. And Christianity, Christians, should be telling people about that because that's what they're missing. The greatest thing we can do for our country is to share with people the love of Christ, the love of the changed heart. I'm not talking about just get a Bible and dress up and go to church. And like, yeah, I did that for 20-something years before I became a Christian. And after I became a Christian, you know, it just, it's amazing. It, it, it's just indescribable almost. Like Peter says, you know, we're baptized into the body of Christ. We're baptized, I mean, by the resurrection spirit of Christ. So we know he lives. We know that he was resurrected because he's in us. And then Paul said in, let's see, Romans 12, 13, which I started saying there, we're all baptized by one spirit into the body of Christ. And then James says over there, we're engrafted into the body. See, there's so many different descriptions in uh, scriptures 
that share with us that great change that takes place in us. You know, like from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Now, the butterfly sure looks a lot prettier. We may not look a lot prettier, but I tell you what, our insides sure look a lot prettier. He cleans us up with a new heart, puts his spirit in us. Now, that makes a big difference. We're now a child of God because he's living in us. And he didn't do that in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it says his covenant was his spirit on them and his word to them. We have his spirit on us, mercy still. We have his word to us. And we have his spirit in us. In us. Christ in us, our hope of glory. Now, which one was I on here? First Corinthians thirteen three, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profit me nothing. See, if you're just doing that works, trying to you know like to be pleasing to God or something like that, but without His Spirit working through you and through you and and to others in that process. Uh, like it says, if I give all my possessions to the poor, surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. You know, that's quite a bit different again because it doesn't reflect that, you know, your love should be going out to others. And that's what's missing when you replace charity by just love. Yet it's the same love of God. And, and it's true what it's saying. But it doesn't give that picture when you read it of God's love in us through us to others and that's what's missing uh, it, it cuts off that witnessing bit it cuts off that service bit and we have a special service second timothy 1 9 says he saved us and called us to a holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace created in christ jesus before the world began now see we have a holy calling and and that's what's being cut off when you change these scriptures instead of uh, saying charity that means I would be serving in my holy calling God working with me me working with God a joint effort between us helping me to do what it is that he's called me to do or like this that's being chopped off and uh, yes I have Christ in my heart and everything but you know if, if the devil's lost somebody and, and they become a Christian you know they can do a lot of damage to him if they go out and tell other people but if he can just get them to sit there feeling good and, oh, i got Christ in my heart now when we all get to heaven, you know, I'm going to be there when the roll's called up under, my name's going to be on it. Well, how many other people's names going to be on that roll call that's due to you sharing your love of Christ to them? Or like in that uh, Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous, tree of life. How many trees of life are back down your path behind you as you go through life, as you've gone through life? See, that, that's what's being chopped off if you take away the charity, you know, sharing and going and serving. But you can still love the Lord. And it says, you know, if our works are, you know, if we don't have those works and everything, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, the judgment seat of Christ, uh, or if we have bad works, works that we've done, you know, without the Lord, grumbling, griping, or whatever, something like that, or neglect, failing to seek God is a evil for us, and, and things like that our works that aren't from the precious stones, jewels, and things like this that the Lord's called us to and worked with us and helped us with and everything, all the other works will be burned away. And if everything is burned away, it says we'll still be saved as by fire. Because once the Spirit of Christ comes to your heart, creates in you the new heart and new life, only Christ can create a new heart. Only Christ. But only Christ could 
uncreate our heart. And, you know, but that's, there's no provision for anywhere in the scripture for us to become an unchild of God. You know, once we become a child of God, we're a child of God. And we stay a child of God. Now, we're going to have to answer for the judgment seat of Christ for the good and the bad. And the bad's going to be right there waiting. The gifts of calling of God are without repentance. So that means you still going to have to answer for them, even though you haven't you know, fulfilled them here. And I don't know what those answers would be and everything. And my concern is that you get stirred up enough that you get you a King James Bible, you get the concordance and something, some way or another, and start looking up in the Scriptures and searching God's pure word for your life because, see, that's what your salvation, that's what your daily living's got to be based on is God's pure word, not just what, you know, uh, uh, sounds good or something like this. Make sure you aren't missing things in your life. In fact, in Hebrews it says, if there's anything to fear, is fear missing the blessings and the good promises of God. Don't neglect them. You know, don't don't miss them just because you don't know about them. Everything. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4, it says, Charity, charity suffereth long. Now, that's going out of your way to witness and everything. There's going to be some suffering to it because they're going to try to put out your light. The devil's going to try to, you know, put out your light someone other than you start witnessing. Like that persecution that Paul had, and he said he prayed, you know, that the Lord would deliver him his thorn in the flesh three times. But God said, my love is sufficient for you. Well, if you look through the Old Testament, every time the phrase like uh, uh, thorn in the flesh or thorn in the side or, or pricks in the eyes or something like this. Every time those uh, expressions were used, they were because of people around the children of Israel causing them harm or something. And that's what Paul was doing. The people around him, like those people you know, stoned him, left him outside the city for dead, you know. <laughs> that, that was really something. But see, Christ then answered him and said, uh, my grace is sufficient for you. And that night when Paul was stoned and left for dead and they prayed or whatever it was and God healed him, brought him back up, his love, the work of God's Spirit in his heart, his love for them is what caused him to be back up the next morning to go preach and teach the gospel again. See, it was God's grace in his heart that kept him going after that. His love for his mankind, his love for other people and wanting them. Because, see, it's such a short time here on earth. We have such a short time. What you do should be to help other people make sure that they're not going to have that eternity of, well, hell and lake of fire. Now, the lake of fire starts at the judgment seat of Christ and everything. And right now, people in hell are waiting for that, that judgment seat, judgment into the lake of fire. Anyway, so... That should be our thing. Charity suffereth long, <coughs> and is kind. Charity envieth not. Now, somebody you're witnessing to for the Lord and everything, uh, you're not going to be out there envying how great the things are they've got. Without Christ, nothing they have is worth envying, you know. But, you know, and it says, Charity vaunts itself not up. That is, you don't go puffed up. You know, you don't go in there and try to impress them on how great a job you did at work today and you don't do this and do that and everything and build yourself up. No, when you're in there witnessing them, you're concerned about everything you say that whatever it might be could, you know, help bring them to the Lord. God can speak to their heart and draw them to you. You're not going to go in there and vaunt, it says, vaunteth not itself. See, and not puffed up. 
that's not the way you're going to go in there. If, you, if you're sharing God's love in you and through you to them and God's working with you in that, you're going to be humbled. You're going to be in there concerned about their salvation. And you're not going to be, you know, trying to pick up and steal one of their fancy little items as you walk out the door or something like that. See, that's not the kind of person you're going to be in there. But now, in First Corinthians 13, the other one, love is patient. Now, see, patient, and they're talking about uh, charity suffers long. Uh, patient just doesn't seem to, I don't know, take the place of those words up there correctly. Anyway, love is kind. Yes, love is kind. Does not envy, does not boast, is not proud. See, it, it says the same thing technically, uh, but it just doesn't come out with charity suffereth long. That is, God working in you and through you to other people suffering long. See, that's a pretty picture of God and man working together to draw another lost person to him. Uh, just saying love is patient, love is kind, does not envy. It, it doesn't bring that picture out. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern, and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord, right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden. Welcome back. Let's uh, discuss 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. 
Well, chapter 13 is what we call, you know, the love chapter. It talks about it all through it. And I've already read a couple of verses. But the last verse says, Now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. See, it's saying here you can have, you know, faith, and you can. You can have faith, and like um, James was talking about it, you know, without works um, is dead. You can also uh, claim to have faith and think you have faith, and, you know, it not be so if it's not on God's pure word. But then you can have faith, hope. Hope could possibly be in the wrong direction. Like when we pray a lot of times, we have something that we think that uh, this is the way it ought to be, Lord, and we talk to him about it and everything. But uh, we find out later maybe something else would have been better. You know, we didn't get what we wanted. He didn't answer us or something. And then that later on in life or something like that, we see, well, if he had answered us, we might have been in trouble or something like this because we didn't see down the road far enough. But we can have a false hope. I say false now. We can have good desires in our heart and everything, but just not see clearly the path God has for us. And we can be hoping for something that if we got that, it would be out of God's will for us later on. But now charity, though, if we have charity, charity is going to be from God speaking to us. And we will be accepting his word then into our heart. We'll be accepting his words to faith. See, we'll have a true faith there because we've heard from God. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God, only if we accept it. So he's spoken to us, and we've accepted his words, his living words now. Jesus says in John 6, 63, my words are spirit in their life. So when God speaks to us and we accept his words to faith into our heart, then those living words, the spirit of those living words come alive in us and work us, you know, uh, the grace in us, the, the create in us the strength and to do whatever it is God has asked us to do. And then he works in us and through us and we share that same work of the spirit. We share that same love to our neighbor. And that's called charity then. It's God speaking to us and us obeying in faith correctly, receiving his spirit in our heart correctly and his spirit works in our heart to produce in us the power the knowledge whatever it is that we need to go to that neighbor so you can see that charity has always got to be pure or it's not charity faith hope and charity we can have faith in in wrong things no we can't no we can't let me rephrase that. People say you can, but you can't. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. You can think you have faith, and it be in wrong things. But but faith coming from hearing from God is the only faith that the Bible talks about as being faith. Now, so you've heard from God, and like in uh, Psalms 119.9, where it says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to God's word. And then... When the children of Israel came up to the promised land and they failed to enter in, it says in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 19, it says they failed to enter in because of an evil heart of departing from the living God to unbelief. It says unbelief. See, when, when you hear God's word, you have to make a choice. Either accept to faith or reject to unbelief. And see, that can't happen with charity. Because when you say charity, 
See, that includes accepting God's word correctly into your heart for the work of grace then to work through your heart to someone else, or it's not charity. So any time there's an act of charity, it has to be from pure faith, pure heart, to someone else. And faith and hope can have problems with them. Anyway, it says, but the greatest of these is charity. Now, and that's the reason it's the greatest. Now, 1 Corinthians 3.13 <coughs> 1 Corinthians 13, 13, then from one of the other versions. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And that's still true. That's true. Faith can still be, uh, you know, uh, phony in the sense that you think you have faith and you're putting all your confidence in something and, and everything. And you're even claiming some promise or something like that. You know, you've picked out a promise and claiming it like that. But that promise may not be for you in that situation. And then the hope, your hope may be misguided. But then the greatest of these is love. And it is. Grace of these is love, the love of God and everything. But see, it doesn't say or imply anything here about the love in you working through you to someone else. Here, it leaves that off. See, it's the, the uh, witnessing the mission part that's being left off when you change charity to the word love. It's still true. Because charity is God's love in and through us to others. But we're just saying love, it doesn't imply anything about through us to others or anything. Now, and also, then I mentioned earlier, Colossians 3.14, where it says, Above all these put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Now, the bonding comes, as I described before, from sharing his love in us through us to others who are in agreement and they share the love of God in them, Christ in them, through them, back to us. And you can see if if we had a group of people doing that, what a great bond that would be. We wouldn't be bonding because of who donates the most money for the building program, or we wouldn't be bonding because of, you know, uh, who sings the best or something in the choir, or bonding because of, you know, uh, different things like this, who's got the, you know, the, the most money coming in, the deacons and things like this, if we were bonding based on God's love, you know, all that would be just completely out of it. It would be our love of God, our love for reaching out to lost people, and love for each other. And, and that kind of bonding would bring us so close together and everything, the world would see, like Jesus prayed for that type of bond in us in uh, John chapter 17. If I can find that real quick. His prayer for us when he was going to the cross, or right before he did. Let's see. John 17. Wait, John 17. In verse 23, it says, I and them and thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they... Also, whom thou hast given me, be with me in that where I am, and that they may behold my glory. Oh, let's see us back up here. Well, I can't find the verse in there real quick now, but uh, oh yeah, here it is, verse eleven. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep them through thine own name, those whom thou hast given me that they may be one as we are one. 
See, he's saying as, as you and I are one, he wants us to be one with each other and with him in that same love and unity and everything that he had with his father. So uh, then the world would see it. See, if we had that unity in Christianity instead of the 400 or something, two or 300 different denominations and everything. Now, it's up. Uh, Well, I guess that's a. Well, here in Second Peter, one seven, even Peter talks about this and says that, uh, and to godliness, brother kindness, kindliness, and to brother kindness, charity. See, so not just be kind to others and everything, but be going with God's spirit of love in you to other people, and. And make sure that it's from grace in your heart, becoming charity then. And then uh, in Second Peter 1, 7 says in the other verse, To godliness, brother, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. See, it just says, add love. Well, sure, you know, that's, that's still correct. That's just, that's correct there. But it doesn't give the implication of that brotherly kindness and charity that you're sharing with your brothers and your kindness, you know, and things like this. So it, it leaves a, a lot out when the words are changed back like that. Now I want to share with you, um, I mentioned before that, you know, charity edifies. But there's kind of a, well, charity edifies if the person that we're going to share God's love with and everything receives it positively. Now, any work of God in and through me and in and through you is, is going to be with the intention of building that person up in the Lord. Now, they may reject that, but the whole purpose of our work of charity then with God is to build them up naturally with the Lord. And that's what the word edification means or different forms of it. And let me read some of this. Uh, Romans 15, 2, it says, Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. So now, see, we could say, Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to building him up in the Lord. Now, we could say something like, uh, You know, well, I, I really appreciate your dedication and, and singing through the years, you know, and, and, and being such a blessing in the choir and everything. I, I really appreciate your dedication to teaching that class. Uh, elderly people or maybe young people or young married people or something like this you know um, I really appreciate that you know um, it's meant a lot to me to see how you've been so dedicated to that and and like that or helping to clean up even clean up after meetings and stuff like this so, you know uh, I sure appreciate you just jumping in there and you know helping you know like that whenever you can find something to do because uh, you're you're building them up in the Lord then, building them up and, and, and showing appreciation for their service for God and, and things like this. Now, Romans 15, 2, in one of the other versions says, Each of us should please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Now, you know, that, that could be a part of it, building them up in the Lord. But to just build a person up, uh, bragging on their new car, their new house, man, this is great, all that beautiful furniture and everything. Um, man, that's a great set of golf clubs you got there. Uh, I hope it makes you score better or helps you to, something like that. Uh, 
Well, my buddies one time had a big set of new clubs, and he just kept buying new clubs, and he put his old set up. His old set was fantastic, and he had it on the clubhouse thing, you know, a set of clubs and everything like that. <laughs> and uh, I put right beside it. I said, uh, never been used. And then a little space and like that in parentheses, correctly. Anyway, that's the way most of our clubs are, never been used correctly. Anyway, each of us should please our neighbor to build him up in the Lord. That's what in Romans the Apostle Paul was concerned about. Like he said, he didn't care who, you know, uh, donated the money for the carpet and the pews and all that stuff. He said all he wanted to know was you and Christ Jesus and him crucified. You know, that was what Paul wanted to know about people that he met. Now, in uh, Ephesians 4.29, and, and to build people up in the Lord, listen to what it says here. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Because, see, corrupt communication is not going to build anybody up in the Lord. It says, but that which is good to use of edifying. I see edifying, building up in the Lord. That it may minister grace unto the hearers. That it may minister grace. You know, from the grace in our heart, we're going to be speaking to them. The work of God's Spirit in our heart. God's Spirit in is going to be coming through us, through our speaking to them, that they be edified and administer grace to them. Now, if they're already a Christian, it's going to build them up in the Spirit and strengthen them, and, and they'll just enjoy this fellowship. And if they're not a Christian, God's going to be speaking to them as we're sharing with them His love and allowing His Spirit to work through us in speaking to their ears, but He's going to be speaking to their heart as we're sharing with them and building them up in Him. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, building up in the Lord, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now, the next version. Ephesians 4.29, do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Yeah, according to their needs, I see, maybe the person doesn't interpret right then what their need is that you're, you know, you're trying to build them up for like that. Um, it may not be a spiritual need that they're concerned with. Uh, and it doesn't, you know, imply that all the way through here. Sure, we need to help our neighbors and, and like this and, and build them up, but uh, the Apostle Paul's concerned here about building them up with their spiritual needs. Christ, it says, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And here, it changes the minister grace unto the hearers that it may benefit those who listen. To just benefit them. Well, uh, that's true too because, you know, uh, if you're speaking to them and the Lord's speaking through you and everything like that, the end result would hopefully be that it minister grace to them, but not necessarily. See, so it, it takes the spiritual concept then of witnessing and sharing and putting Christ first in all you say and do it, it, it takes that out of it. First Thessalonians, excuse me, First Thessalonians 5:11. 
Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Now, First Thessalonians 5.11, another version. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. See, instead of edify, it says build each other up, just as in fact you're doing. And here again, uh, to build them up, as Christians, we should try to be building people up in the Lord. But it doesn't say that in this verse. It just says help build them up. You know, for down and maybe going through a, a bad time or something like this or going through, I don't know, whatever it might be. It just, when you take out the word edify, it allows for building up in other areas. Well, you know, you've always done a good job. You know, you're the best baseball player, you know, and all this stuff. And, and you know, you'll get your reward or something like this. Or, you know, you build them up. And the fact that, you know, maybe they've had a loss or something like that. With, and you can brag on them and things like that. But, but to build them up is to help them seek the Lord and seek the Lord's strength and comfort and things like this for whatever the situation might be. Now, see... So it's you say, well, it doesn't have anything to do with these differences and everything about salvation and everything. Well, if you look through a lot of the scriptures, it does have a lot to do with about salvation. Because see, like um, just in these words of edification here, all these scriptures about edification, where the word edification is taken out and removed, it's backing off from building people up in the Lord. It's not giving you that encouragement when you are a new Christian or any you know Christian studying and sharing something like this, looking through here. It, it doesn't specifically then direct you to over and over and over say we should be trying to build people up in the Lord. That's our calling, you know, to build people up in the Lord. Um, and it should be clear that that's what our calling is. And when you change the word edification to just build up, that takes away from that, just like charity being changed to love takes away from that going, witnessing, God working in us and through us to others, a work of charity. Uh, I say only Christians can form the work of charity talked about in the scriptures. And that's where the word came from. See, we get so many of our words in society because uh, that have been misused and stuff because our first textbooks in our schools years ago were the, the scriptures. And, and children were sent the school in those days for two reasons. One, to learn to read the Bible. And second, it was almost like a day babysitting uh, situation because men and women were having to work out in the fields for the early settlers and everything like that. They all had jobs all day long. And this way, you know, people could take care of their children, teach them to read the Bible, read the scriptures. But see, the, the scripture, the biblical words got so our society got so filled with them that these words have changed through the years so much that people decided that uh, charity was an archaic type word, uh, something like that, you know, an old-fashioned, not for today. I don't know who decided that because if you see charitable organizations all over town, charities talked about so much and everything, but see, it's talked about in a non-scriptural way, a non-godly way. Now, there are Christian charities and everything, and uh, but it's not pointed out that there's a difference between this charity and the other in the word usage and everything. 
but uh, charity should still be in the scriptures. I think it's just a, another attempt to help let people know that when we study the scriptures, that charity is an encouragement for us to go out and witness and allow the Lord to work with us and through us to someone else. And edification then is when we're doing that, when we get there, our purpose should be, as we're witnessing to them, sharing with them, is to edify, build them up in the Lord while you're there doing that act of charity. Because it says, you know, that um, true charity edifies and builds up in the Lord. So charity and edification go hand in hand. And um, I believe should still be in the scriptures. But anyway, you can, you can correct that, though, by getting your King James and getting a... Uh, concordance and, and study that out for yourself and everything and see the importance of it. Uh, there are some uh, other things about the scripture I think we need to know that would be helpful to you. There are some Bible verses missing from a lot of the uh, Bibles. And I, I refer to them, I guess, I use King James first. I guess you probably guessed that. And the reason is because I just like the, I call it the beautiful way sometimes that the scriptures are expressed. Now, it does have some times where it's very complicated, and I use other versions then to try to help me understand that. So I'm not against the other versions in that sense at all. Um, because King James has some problems in it too. They all do. That's what I'm trying to show you. So we, we have to seek diligently for God's pure word of faith. And I guess one of the reasons I use the King James as kind of the foundation for most of my studies is that we have a concordance that will go through every word that's in the King James Bible, like faith, grace, mercy, charity, uh, all of these. And, and from that then, we can go to other versions and uh, find out what they say and compare them back and forth and get a better idea maybe of what a scripture means. But if if I was using the NIV as a basis for my studies, I wouldn't have a concordance for it that could show me, you know, what all the other copies of the Bible say about a particular verse or about a subject or something like that. So that's the reason I use King James, I guess, so much is because it has a concordance and then you, then you can compare all the verses back and forth to each other. Now, In some of these missing Bible verses, I say missing because, you know, using the King James, the King James has the verses, and these other verses, other versions don't have the verses. And I don't know of any case to where uh, some of the other versions, like the NIV, the NAS, or those, I don't know of any cases where they have verses that the King James don't have verse, say it, it uh, or don't have the same verse. So in sharing about these missing Bible verses, uh, just a little funny story here. John, if you're listening, uh, please forgive me for using this again, but in one of my radio programs years ago, on AM radio station, I had a buddy that uh, came out with me, and we were going to be discussing the scriptures, and um, I asked him to look up uh, Mark, uh, was it 1126? And we'd read it together. I'd read it out of King James, and he'd read it out of, you know, the NIV. Well, I gave him Mark eleven twenty six, and it says, But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. That's in the King James. 
Well, the Amplified doesn't have that verse. The uh, NAS, well, Amplified has it in italics and says that, you know, the uh, other versions don't use it. The NAS, New American Standard, it just has a note down at the bottom that says, uh, many manuscripts do not contain this verse. NIV is blank, but it had a comment that uh, down at the bottom of the page says, uh, sometimes, you know, uh, versions use Matthew 6.15, the wording in Matthew 6.15. <coughs> so at that particular time, though, none of the other versions used it. And he kept looking there, and he'd, he'd read Mark 11.25, and I said, no, no, Mark 11.26. And he'd read Mark 11.27. No, Mark 11.26. And then he just kept looking, couldn't find it. I said, wait a minute, just a minute. <laughs> I said, that, that's the purpose of it is there is no Mark 11.26 in the version you're looking at. And <laughs> it, was, it was a little humor there, but that uh, wouldn't be noticed by somebody just reading through probably. As you're reading the scripture, you don't normally just take each one of them and look what verse am I, have I just read and what verse am I fixing to read like this. And it just goes down through there. And there's 20-something verses that are in the King James that are not in the uh, other versions, except for the Catholic Bible again, I guess. And I'm going to read you some of these and share them. Now, the reason I'm going to read these and share the difference is that uh, people translating our copies made big decisions like that to leave a verse out. And some of their reasoning for doing that is, well, some of the older manuscripts do not contain it. Some of the newer manuscripts, this. They, they have things like this, and I wonder, are they really treating that as God's Word? Because what difference it make if it's in an older manuscript and it's not in a newer manuscript that you don't include it? Or if it's in the older manuscript and not in the newer manuscript that you don't include it? Uh, see, it's like translating a just literature, translating something like this, and not taking as God's word. If it's God's word in that particular older manuscript, then it's God's word that we need to know. If it's God's word in a newer one, it shouldn't be left out. See, this this use of this concept of deciding that well, that shouldn't be there. That's an older God's word. No, you know, if it's God's word, it's God's word. Why should it be left out? You know, and, and it doesn't appear to me that from their reasoning for leaving these verses out and everything, they were saying, you know, this is not God's word, or treating it like it's not God's word. It seemed to me just like they were treating God's word very lightly in doing that. And you are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com.
God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern, and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord, right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden. Missing Bible verses. Now I hope that what I've shared with you this morning, uh, like I mentioned in the very beginning, uh, when there's confusion, truth will bring that out because we need to deal with it and get it straightened out. Confusion is of the devil. And I hope in identifying these different concerns and problems that might exist or that might hinder us from finding God's pure word will inspire you or encourage you to do something about it in your own personal life because you and your family, your friends, everybody you're associated with is going to be affected well, they are affected now by your walk with the Lord or not, or how you're walking with the Lord, or me, how I'm walking with the Lord. Like this, everybody is influenced by God's working in and through me and in and through you and others. And I hope that this will lead you to seeking, well, to be more careful in things that you share, but to actually getting, you know, a concordance or something and a King James Version and studying uh to get a better understanding of this so that you can share with someone else, you know, how to turn their hearts and lives to the Lord. He's promised if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this cleansing from all unrighteousness means that he's creating us a new heart, a new life. And he's, you know, taking away that stony heart and giving us a heart of flesh. And he's putting his spirit in us. And he's, we're all coming into the family of God with a new, clean, pure heart. I wish you'd do that. I've done some to our minds, some too. But we have to study to seek to you know, change our minds. Like in Paul says in Romans 12, too. Uh, 
Be not conformed to this world, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Second Corinthians 10, 5, where it says, submitting every thought to the obedience of Christ. That means we need to have a lot of God's Word in us to, you know, take control of our minds and everything because we have those memories of the past and stuff. But uh, to be able to do that. And then when someone says, yes, I'd like to turn to the Lord, which is to have the courage to lead them in just a simple, honest prayer. It's all it takes. Rome, uh, Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, And in Deuteronomy it says, You shall seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. See, it's just a heartfelt, you know, a calling out to God. In Second uh, Corinthians three sixteen says, When the heart of man turns to the Lord, the veil of separation lifted. Say, let's just pray. Pray and just ask God to forgive your sins and co commit your life to him and invite him to come into your heart, to create in you the new heart, the new life, just from a simple prayer. Be like, Jesus, I ask you to please forgive me. Cleanse me of all my sins. I want to turn from my sins. I surrender my heart and life to you. And I invite your spirit, Christ, to come into my heart and create in me the new heart, the new life. In your name, Jesus, I ask. Amen. You know, just it doesn't have to be those exact words. It's just a heart calling out to God, wanting Him, and, and come in and help. You know, something like that. Creating me the new heart. See, and you got to have the courage you know, to share with people because um, if, you, if you just tell them, you know, uh, you, you need to pray tonight and do this, and you need, you know, pray and do this. And, no, right there and say, w would you like to pray right now, and and do that. You know, be willing to pray with them to help guide them on through the last parts of it. You know, and, and I tell you, I've heard people say when they pray like it, oh, such a burden has been lifted. Some reason or another, those words seem to be the, the most common that I've heard. I've heard other things, but so often, see, the person is so burdened down in their heart with sin and stuff, and they don't realize how burdened they are. It's like a weight being lifted off of them, you know, just like a clearing up, and it is. They say, oh, such a burden has been lifted. And when they say that, I know then that Christ just did a work in their heart, cleaned them up and did that. It's so great to hear that. And and I tell you what, if, if you're listening, if you never heard it, start witnessing to people, sharing with people, and, and even practice saying, you know, like some kind of prayer, you know, just uh, please forgive me my sins. Come into my heart and save me. And I commit, you know, whatever but be ready and willing when the opportunity comes to share with someone and help them at that time change their heart and life okay now these missing bible verses i was talking to you about i'm going to read a few of them to you and, and show you then what i mean in uh, matthew chapter 17 verse 21 jesus was speaking to the disciples and they had gone out and you know they had healed the sick and uh done all these cast out demons and everything and went out two by two and they came back and a, a man uh, complained that they had not healed his son and so in discuss it with them everything this particular verse then comes up and Jesus says how be it this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting well in the Amplified it says that some manuscripts don't even contain that verse then uh, it has it in italics, you know, like that, to say that it doesn't contain it. The NAS says the same thing. It just says uh, NAS being the New American Standard. Uh, some manuscripts don't contain it. NIV 
was blank, no verse, and uh, many manuscripts do not contain this verse. Well, if many manuscripts don't contain it, what about the ones that do contain it? Is that God's word? The manuscripts you have that do contain it? See, and so uh, I would think that, you know, if it was God's word, that we would put God's word in there no matter where we got it from, if we knew it was God's word. If those other manuscripts that do not contain it aren't God's word, just, you know, throw it away or something. Anyway, it, it, it seems to me like they're playing games or something like that. Matthew 18, 11, the King James Version. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Amplified says some manuscripts do not contain it again. The New American Standard says most manuscripts do not contain this verse. And then uh, NIV in this case says it leaves it blank, but has a note down at the bottom that says some manuscripts contain the words of Luke 19.10, which say just about the same thing. But here again, you know, uh, the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Should that be in there? Should that be God's word? If it's God's word, it should be there. It doesn't matter which manuscripts has it and which ones doesn't. If it's determined to be God's word. So King James says God's word, then are these others saying it's not God's word? Or vice versa? You know, back and forth? See, anyway, that's where we have to pray and seek. Like this. Matthew twenty-three fourteen. Jesus says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. And again, the Amplified says, Some manuscripts don't include it. And has it in italics. In the New American says, Verse not found in the earlier manuscripts. Well, is it God's word or not? Should be the determination, not which manuscript is found in or not. The NIV, blank, and um, it has a comment that maybe you know the verses and the words in Mark twelve forty or Luke twenty forty seven might be sufficient or something. You know, it's a, but it's not just coming right out and saying it is or isn't God's word. Matthew 24, 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angel of heaven, but my Father only. That's in uh, King James. Amplified includes in this one, nor the Son. Uh, but it also states that many manuscripts do not have that. The NAS, the uh, New American Standard, Includes, no, not the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but my Father in heaven only. And then the NIV includes, nor the Son, and like this. Now, um, including nor the Son, you know, it, it surprises me because so many of the people nowadays say they're trying to, you know, um, argue about Jesus' deity. And it looks like, you know, uh, if, if you put in... But of that day and the hour, no, not the angel of heaven, nor the Son, 
but my father only, that would show a separation or a difference between the, what the son knows and what the father knows. And if Jesus was deity before that, you know, there'd be a problem there. But, now, I don't believe that because Jesus was man here. Jesus was man with Christ in him. The fullness of Christ, the fullness of grace. And right before he died on the cross, remember now, he cried out, My God, thou my, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Christ then, the Spirit of God in him, left him, and the man Jesus took our sins, that separation of his heart from God, the fullness of that separation of his heart from God, and that's when he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then, shortly after that, he, Jesus, the man Jesus, died on the cross for our sins. He was like our scapegoat. You know, he, he offered his body for sacrifice and everything. But in the Old Testament, they had two animals. One, the sacrificial animal, died on the cross. His blood was sprinkled seven times for the altar of God. Now, Jesus, he was our sacrificial, supposedly, replacement or animal, or not, not animal, you know, but, you know, our replacement, like in those sacrifices, our, our perfect sacrifice, perfect walk of faith, sprinkled his blood seven times before the mercy of God, seven times, both feet, both hands, that's four ways he was bleeding on the cross, the, uh, plucked his beard, the fifth way, stripes on his back, the second, sixth way, and the crown of thorns on his head, the seventh way, so he was bleeding from seven places on his body, his, his life's blood pouring out before the mercy of his father. And that's what they did, you know, with the Old Testament sacrifice, sprinkle the blood before the mercy of God. Now, but the second sacrificial animal in the Old Testament, they prayed over him, laid hands on his head, prayed their sins onto that animal, and he took them off into the wilderness. And see, that's what happened to Jesus there. When the Spirit of Christ left his heart, and he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He took that separation of his heart from God, that total sin, and we don't ever have to go through that again. He took that total sin. He had never been separated from his father before because even from Mary's conception, the spirit was in the seed. The seed was a conception in Mary, the seed of God, the living word spoken to her by the God through the angel. And then all during you know, the nine months that uh, she was pregnant, the spirit was in Jesus. And all his life he had the Spirit of Christ in him until right on the cross there, right before he died, when the Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, left him and he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? See, so it was a man Jesus that died. So here, um, that would indicate, you know, that if, if he had known that, you know, that would have indicated about his deity. But Jesus was not... God until after his resurrection and Jesus I mean and God exalted him to the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was man until then. Jesus a man dying on the cross for our sins, a perfect walk of faith, the sacrifice of his blood, and he performed the function of our scapegoat to take our sins away. And now we don't have to do it. When I die, my body just leaves this, you know, uh, falls off and my spirit just goes continues with the Lord. My eternal life started 41 years ago, and it will exist throughout eternity. Anyway, 
So some of these verses, the way they're changed, do have implication to meanings like that and everything. But uh, Mark seven sixteen, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Well, again, the Amplified says many verses, many manuscripts do not contain this, and the NAS says many manuscripts do not contain it, and then uh, NIV says you may use Mark four twenty three has the same words and use them over. So on and on like this. Uh, <coughs> Mark nine forty four and forty six, where it says. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. See, Jesus was talking about hell there, where, you know, naturally lost people are going to go and things like this. Amplified said, uh, there's no verse. NAS, NIV, blank, no verse, no comment. Uh, in verse 48, it does say that. And in verse 48, all three of them have that. But they left it out these two times. Mark 11:26. That's the one I mentioned a while ago, where it says, "But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses." The Amplified and italics and says, "You know, not many manuscripts do not contain it." The NAS said, "Many manuscripts don't contain it." And then um, NIV says, "Well, you could use Mark, I don't know, Matthew 6:15." So like it's just different ones like this. <coughs> About to run out of time, so, excuse me, I'm <clears throat> change here. I want to share with you some verses that uh, are very serious, you know. What we base our salvation on or things like this. In Mark chapter 16, verses 9 to 20, are some verses that uh, there's confusion about. The uh, different versions, uh, they say that, you know, a, a lot of these the Amplified says that uh, these verses are okay, but they're uh, not in the two earliest manuscripts. The NAS says that some of the oldest manuscripts do not contain verses 9 through 20. The NIV says the earliest manuscripts do not contain verses 9 through 20. And in the uh, New Vice Standard Catholic Bible uh, has many changes and footnotes and explanations and everything. But see, some of these... Uh, don't adhere to these scriptures being inspired or something uh, so they, they question it back and forth. Let me read them to you because there's some denominations that have their almost like denominational standard scripture in these scriptures and that's a big deal. Now if these, if these aren't God's word, you know they would have a problem. Everybody that trusted that denominational beliefs would have a problem so uh, that's why I'm going to read this. It says in verse 9, Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him, and they mourned and wept. And they, when they heard that he was alive and had, had been seen of her, believed not. And after he appeared in another form unto two of them, as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the residue, neither believed they them. See, the people didn't believe them. Afterwards, he appeared to eleven that sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he had risen. Now, this is verse 15 now. is one of the main verses that see, the Church of Christ used for their salvation. 
he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And they believe that means exactly what it says. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That you can't be saved by just believing, but you've got to be baptized too. Now, and there are also some Pentecostals that believe you have to be baptized in water by one of their preachers to be saved. And then there's a Church of Christ. Now, I know there's a different Church of Christ, but uh, I don't know how to distinguish between all of them like that or which one exactly this way. But, the, but they believe and very fervent in their belief. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And if you're not baptized by one of their preachers, if you're not baptized in water, you're not a Christian. Now, see, that, that is serious because for those that do take this, that means that everybody that has not been baptized their way, they're saying is lost. Uh, either or whatever you want to call a person is not, you know, saved. And now, if they're putting their confidence and faith in the baptism and they're wrong, and these scriptures here are not, you know, uh, God's pure word, as there seems to be a lot of question about and everything, then they're basing their salvation on some scriptures that's not going to do them any good. See, that's how serious it is. It's, it's, it's more than just life or death. It's life or eternity. It's heaven or hell. It's heaven or the lake of fire. And that goes to eternity. See, that makes it so serious that is this God's pure word? If it is God's pure word, most of us are going to the lake of fire because we haven't been baptized by their preacher. If, if it's not God's pure word, most of them are going to go. See, there's a big division right here in this one scripture that, that makes it worthwhile for us to get together, pray and seek and find out. Now, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now, it doesn't say here he that is not baptized will be damned, but it does say that if you don't believe, and that's right, all of us have to believe. We come to belief. See, that's when God brings us to a knowledge of, uh, that we're a sinner, that Jesus is the answer. We must humble ourselves and call out to him for salvation. See, that's where our belief comes from. Jesus says in John 6, 45, And they shall all be taught of God, every man therefore that heard and learned of the Father cometh unto me. And that's where our belief comes from. But now, how do we respond to that belief? And, you know, just believing now don't make you a Christian. I went into a church not too long ago, and it was so sad. He said, we're all believers. We're all going to heaven and everything like that. And, you know, pounding the pulpit and everything like that. And, and they all, yeah, 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 we believe in everything. And I know all those years I was lost. I believed who Jesus was. I believed who God was and, and like this. But see, it's our response to that that determines if we go to heaven or what. And the only response to that belief that we're a sinner, that Christ the answer, it, you know, is to turn to the Lord with all our heart and say, Lord, please forgive me my sins. Come into my heart. Create in me the new heart. Forgive me of my sins. Create in me the new heart, and I commit my life to you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. See, we got to respond to it. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there is something we have to do to receive God's word and grace in our heart. That is humble ourselves to his word, our pride, and what we've been placing our confidence in the stock market and placing the confidence in our smart deals of trading houses and things like this, making money, 
we've got to humble ourselves and say, I'm going to give my life to an unseen spirit, the spirit of God, and I'm going to pray and seek and allow him to run and rule in my life. See, that's what it means to humble yourself to God's word is all these things you've been putting your confidence in, putting your beliefs in and things like this. You've got to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I choose you. I'm going to trust you and I'm going to put my heart and life in your hands. I trust that you'll take it. But see here, this is so serious. And a lot of these other things in the scriptures are too, but I don't have time to go through all the rest of them like this. But he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, the next part of this says, He that believeth not shall be damned. But see, it looks to me like that if, if you really had to be water baptized or something like this, that it would say, He that is not baptized shall be damned too. But it doesn't. It just says, He that doesn't believe. Now, the baptism talked about by Peter in First Peter chapter 1, it says uh, that baptism does now also save us. And then it says not to, you know, cleaning of the filth of the flesh, you know, the water baptism that they used in the Old Testament, but it says, by the resurrection spirit of Jesus Christ, you know, by the resurrection spirit. <clears throat> and then the Apostle Paul says in First Corinthians, oh, let's see, First Corinthians 12, Romans 12. Let me get that. I'm getting confused here. I'm getting in a hurry here. Romans chapter 12, verse, uh, yeah, that's it. Romans 12, 13. Where it says that by one spirit are we all baptized into the body of Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into the body of Christ. It's First Corinthians, twelve thirteen, not uh, Romans. So First Corinthians. I want to get it over here and read it now because I didn't have it available. But I don't want to just say it and leave you wondering. Then okay. 1 Corinthians 12:13 For by one spirit are ye all baptized into one body speaking of the body of Christ whether you be Jews Gentiles whether you be bond or free and have all been made to drink of that one spirit See by one spirit are we baptized into the body the body of Christ and that's the, this is chapter on the gifts of the spirit here and that's what he's talking about there the body of Christ so that is the baptism that we need to be seeking, to be baptized into the body of Christ. And the only way to do that is humble ourselves and reach out to him. Now, the rest of this thing goes on. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. And see, a lot of churches teach it. You know, that was for old days, not for today. So is it or not? You know, this question. They shall speak with new tongues. Some churches teach it. Speaking in tongues is of the devil. Others say it's the greatest thing that ever happened to them. They take up serpents if they drink any deadly thing. Now this is, you know, really here. Uh, Apostle Paul, a serpent bit him and it didn't affect him at all. And they thought he was God because that poisonous viper bit him and he slung it off and just that was it. Now if, if something attacks you by accident like it and everything, I know God will protect you and everything. But you shouldn't go out and drink deadly things, stuff like this. Now Paul was as full of deadly poison from that snake bite as anybody drinking it. But uh, it didn't affect him a bit. God protected him because he was in his service. And I tell you what, as Christians, and you're doing God's will and seeking to serve him, that's one of the confidence you can have that there's nothing can take your life here on earth <coughs> away from you until you're finished in what God has for you to do here. You know, 
God will not allow that to happen. He will not allow you to die, you know, before, you know, your, your job or your mission, your whatever it is, you know, your calling is fulfilled. If, if you desire to do that and continue and everything like that, see, there's no such thing as accidental death. It says that back in, um, I think it's Leviticus. It, it just, God allows people, it looks to us like it's accident, but see, God is present for everybody that dies on this earth. He does not neglect anybody. He's there. Now, why he lets things happen, everything like that? Something else. But I know it says that, you know, the God is ever present. There's no such thing as an accidental death to God. Now, and he goes on and says, they shall speak with tongues. They take, you know, lay hands on them. Listen. Oh, yeah. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up in heaven, set on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. See, like it in uh, charity, the Lord working with us in acts of charity and confirming his word with signs following. He'll confirm the words of his prophets. He'll confirm our words if we speak his pure word. And it says that he'll also confirm the word of his counselors, you might say. That is, when we're sharing a testimony, we're not just sharing a perfect word of God from the scripture. But he'll confirm and he'll he'll confirm our words of uh, testimony to other people too. If we're telling the truth of what happened to us at our salvation and everything, he'll confirm that. But he'll work with us. It's us working with God, him with us, in a work of faith by love or in works of charity. So I hope today you'll be encouraged to seek to better understand for your own personal benefit God's pure word to faith. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit Amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern. 
and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord. Right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. You're listening to the Spark Radio Network, internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life and listen for the spark. Spark. 